Okay, if you could turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 12 this morning, starting in verse 1, and we'll work our way through the first 11 verses. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now, it's been a couple months since we've been in the book of John, and, and so you understand, John in this chapter, he's leaving his public ministry, which ended in John chapter 11, and now we move into what we might call his private ministry. This is the time that John will spend more time with the disciples, trying to prepare them for his departure. We need to understand at this point, there's only six days left to Jesus' life. Six days away, he'll be crucified and killed. But what I want you to think about as we go through this message is the responses that people give to Jesus. You know, as a pastor, I see this often, and we'll, we'll see, as we've been looking through the book of John, there were basically three responses. The first response is when Jesus came and he preached, when, he, when people recognized who he was, they recognized that he was Lord that he was Savior, and they respond in faith, and so there's this outpouring of devotion. That's one response. The second response we see in the Scriptures are often what they call the crowds, and the crowds are basically indifferent. They kind of are curious. They're interested in this religious figure, this guy that can perform miracles. There's kind of an indifference in the crowds. And then you have the religious leaders, and there's hatred for Jesus, disdain for him. And we basically see those three responses as well in our day, don't we? Sometimes we have the opportunity to share Christ with people, and there's this, whoa, this response in their heart. They can't believe who he is, and they receive him by faith. Sometimes Jesus is just a, a religious figure. He's somebody you can talk about. He's somebody you can debate about. They really don't care about him personally. There's no commitment level. But he's just one of those many that, that are out there. And then there are those that hate Christianity. Hate the fact that you would say Jesus is God. Those same responses happen today as well. And today we're going to see different responses to Jesus. But particularly, I want you to focus on Mary. We know this story well. Mary is the one who comes and she anoints Jesus' feet with perfume. And I want to contrast Mary's response to the responses of others in this message. As a little review, John chapter 11 Jesus had proclaimed that he is the resurrection and the life, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. Wow! Boom! Miracle happens, proves he has the power over life and death. He truly is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. That happens in John chapter 11. And at the end of chapter 11, Jesus leaves Bethany where Lazarus was, and he goes to a place called Ephraim. We don't know exactly how long he is, and then he comes back here, back to Bethany, where Lazarus lives, where Mary is, where Martha is. And that's where our story begins. And it's six days before the Passover. And we're going to see these different res responses. But as we look at this response contrasted to Mary's response, when the way different people respond, I want you to begin to think, how do you respond to Jesus? What kind of a response does Jesus evoke in you? Let's take a look at the text. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So what are the different responses to Jesus? The first response we see is Martha. Martha responds to Jesus with grateful service. Martha's response to Jesus always seems to be this act of service, but Mary, on the other hand, is humble devotion. Mary responds to Jesus with this devotional heart, this this response. Whenever you see Mary, man, she's always at Jesus' feet. Now, verse 1, it gives us the historical setting. Look at verse 1 again. Jesus is for, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was and whom Jesus raised from the dead. So it's six days before the Passover. Understand that the Passover happens on a Friday. If you remember, the, the Last Supper happens Thursday evening, the beginning of the Passover. Remember, the Jews, their days were sunset to sunset. So when the sun went down on Thursday to the Jewish person, it's Friday, it begins the Passover. And that's when they have this Last Supper that we know about. And of course, Jesus, he's crucified on Friday. He's crucified on the same day that the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb was crucified. Jesus being the one true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is crucified on that that day. And so this is the six days before. It's a Saturday. It's a Sabbath day. And Jesus arrives in, in Bethany. And we know from Matthew and also the book of Mark, Matthew 26, Mark 14, they, do, they both speak about this same event. They're at the house of Simon. Simon was a leper, but he'd been healed by Jesus, and he's throwing this dinner party for him. I think it's in celebration for Lazarus being raised from the dead, but also I think it's Simon's heart saying, I just love Jesus. He healed me as well. And so Jesus comes back to Bethany. I want you to understand something about Lazarus. Lazarus at this point has become a celebrity. Everybody's heard about this resurrection. Lazarus now is kind of the talk of the crowd. He was in the grave four days. Now he's risen, and so this crowd begins to want to see Lazarus meet Lazarus. And I began, began to think about this story. Here you have this dinner with Jesus there. You, you have Lazarus there. You, you have Martha and Mary. You have Simon there. And I'm thinking, you got two men there that have been healed by Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you want to be like a fly on the wall and listen to the conversation, what they're talking about? You know, you got Simon. He's saying, you know, I, was, I had leprosy so bad that I was covered with sores I had to ostracize myself from the people. My nose was about ready to fall off. And then I meet Jesus, and suddenly I'm healed. And my skin becomes like a baby. And Lazarus goes, wow, that is amazing. What an amazing miracle. He said, you know, I got so sick. So sick, I died. I was dead in the ground four days. My sister said I stunk. He said, and then all of a sudden I'm awake. He goes, but I can't see anything. He said, I'm wrapped in these linens, but all I can hear is the voice of Jesus. And and I start walking towards the voice. Amazing miracle. Wouldn't you love to have been there? I mean, there's great conversation going on around the table. And here they are talking with Jesus. Jesus is there in their midst. And one thing I want you to note is that Simon, Simon was actually bold to have this dinner. Because the Jews, the leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus. And anybody connected to Jesus, they wanted dead as well. As a matter of fact, at the end of John, John chapter 11, verse 53, it says, from that day on, they planned to kill him. 
Verse 57 says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where he was was to report it so that they might seize him. Simon is risking his own life here to have this dinner party for Jesus. And trust me, people knew that they were having the dinner party. This wasn't a private affair. And so it brings us to this setting where you have this this meal going on. And verse 2 tells us that Martha, she's serving. Now, I don't know about you guys, if you've ever read that book, The Five Love Languages, the love language of Martha is service. It's the acts of service. I think Martha displays love through serving, and I think she receives love by serving. This is the way she's built. This is who she is. And I think Martha's gotten a lot of bad press from a number of preachers that have kind of compared her to Mary. I think this is the way she is. This is how, who she is. She displays affection through service. I don't think she always understood how to show worship through her service. And you best especially know that when you first meet her on the pages of Scripture. In Luke chapter 10, verses 40 to 42 is where we first meet Martha. You know the story. There's another dinner that Jesus is at earlier and and Martha, she's running around like crazy trying to prepare this meal. And she gets really upset because where's Mary? Of course, Mary's at Jesus' feet. And so Martha, she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now Jesus, the way he responds is important. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better? Some version says she's chosen the better part. And it will not be taken from her. At that point, I think Martha was so busy, she got frustrated, she got angry. It's all about, hey, we've got to get things done. And she lost that aspect of being at Jesus' feet in devotion, hearing him teach her. But I think this is the way she is. But if you'll notice something, this story, we have kind of the same circumstances. Mary, again, is going to be at the feet of Jesus, but Martha's different this time. She's not upset. You don't see her complaining. Mary's there. She's busy. And I think Mary probably even started helping her out, but Mary kind of drifts again to Jesus' feet. So what changed? I think Martha changed. I think she began to understand how to worship the Lord in serving. It's it's the idea of having the right heart in your service about having this heart of devotion while you serve. As a matter of fact, one of the commentators said this. He said, there are only two things that make service worth anything. Number one, that it's done in love. And number two, it's done for the glory of Christ. And I think after that first meeting where Jesus said that to her, that Mary had the better part, I think she realized that. It was her her attitude of the heart that really mattered here. And so here, her attitude of service is to serve him out of love and to serve him with this heart of gratitude for his glory. I think that's what we see in Martha here. Martha had both. Charles Spurgeon says that the simplest work for Jesus is a grander thing than the dignity of an emperor. The simplest thing you do for the Lord is greater than having the dignity of a king. Martha, I think, got that now. This act of service. But contrast her to Mary. As Martha's busy serving, you have Mary all of a sudden who's probably started out helping her, but now she's, she's at the feet of Jesus. And we know from verse 3 that she anointed his feet with expensive perfume. I think what you see here is Mary is more devotional, where Martha is more practical. 
Now Mary, when you see Mary on the pages of Scripture, she always is near Jesus. As a matter of fact, whenever you see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Again, the first time you meet Mary is in Luke chapter 10. The same story we looked at before. Martha's busy. In Luke 10, 38 and 39, it says, While they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her home. And she had a sister Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. That's Mary. She wants to be where the Lord is. She wants to be at his feet, taking in what he has to say, worshiping him, drawing close to him in devotion. Mary has that kind of heart, this humble devotion towards the Lord. The second time we see Mary is after Lazarus had died. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And Jesus comes back to Bethany. And of course, Martha had come up to Jesus and kind of scolded him a little bit. Hey, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she kind of runs off and she tells Mary in secret, hey, Jesus is here. And, and Mary then runs back to where Jesus is. But again, in John eleven thirty two, 32, it says, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. I think for Mary, and maybe it's just a kind of a symbol of where her heart was, you always see her kind of in this act of submission, this act of devotion towards Jesus. And, And really what I think comes out of this is three things that I see very clearly. First is she's humble. Mary has a humble heart before the Lord. Do you have a humble heart before the Lord? God gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud. And and you see in Mary this this humility. Do you understand how difficult it would be for a Jewish woman, how humbling it would be to take off your head covering, to get on all fours and begin to pour oil on his feet and begin to wipe his feet with her hair? She knew she was probably going to receive ridicule. It was a humbling thing, but she was willing to do it. She humbled herself in front of everyone. This is humble worship. This is devotion. This is her heart before the Lord. This is all poured out for him. And she doesn't care who sees it. She humbly submits herself before the Lord in humble devotion. We see humility in her. But not only that, what she did was intentional. This wasn't happenstance. There's a reason she took this very costly perfume and and brings it to Jesus and gets down and begins to anoint his feet. Because she understands that he's going to die. If you want to scroll down and look at verse 7, it says, Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now Matthew 26, 12 says, For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Both Matthew and Mark say very clearly that, that Mary knew. Mary understood. She knew that Jesus was going to die. She already understood when none of the other disciples understood that he was actually going to die. They still didn't quite get it, even though Jesus had told them time and time again that he was going to die for the sins of the world. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 7, verse 33, Jesus had already told them, for a little while longer I am with you, and then I go to him who sent me. In Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, he says, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Three different times, Jesus had told him that coming up to this point. The disciples should have known, but they just didn't get it. Mary did. 
Now, why does Mary understand? What makes her different? I think her being at his feet makes a difference. If we could visualize that for ourselves, it's this idea, how often are you at the feet of Jesus? Is it once a month? Once a week? Is it every day? Trust me, when Jesus was there, she was at his feet. Her heart is given over. It's a heart of devotion. Now, I'm not slamming Martha because that's the way Martha's built. She works, but I think service to the Lord from a heart of devotion is the best way to do it. Do you meet with the Lord daily in His Word? Do you come to Him prayerfully, praying all day long with this heart of devotion? Corporately, together, where the Lord's people are. Is that where you want to be? Because I think for Mary, that's what's pictured here. The Lord has her heart. And it's a heart of devotion. And so you see with Mary this this humble devotion. You see this intentional attitude. But not only that, what she did lasted. It lasted. We're still preaching about what Mary has done from the pulpit. I'm doing it right now. And whenever this is preached, she's spoken of. As a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, this woman, what she has done, will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now, I'm not sure if you remember what the other people were doing at that time, but we remember Mary, this humble act of devotion. That's what we see. You know, when we were up at the men's conference this weekend, it was actually a really good conference, really enjoyed it. It was a great time of fellowship with the guys, a good time in his word. It was just good. But there was one young man there, and his name is Trevor. And Trevor was bound to a wheelchair. Now, Trevor had a lot of physical problems, but he did not have a devotion problem. Whenever that music would start, Trevor would lift his hands, put back his head, and he would just start singing to the Lord. Now, I knew that it was probably a problem for some of the guys, and maybe it distracted them during their time of worship. But for me, it was kind of twofold. Yeah, it was a little distracting, this young man in a wheelchair, and so it was hard not to look at him. But I also realized that my heart didn't respond as quickly as his heart did in devotion. He was very much like a Mary. He had this heart that just wanted to be devoted and surrendered to the Lord. So that's what we see first. Martha responds with grateful service, but Mary, she responds with humble devotion. There's a second thing we see, and this is probably the most stark contrast here. We're going to look at Judas. Judas responds to Jesus with selfishness and greed. Judas, he responds to Jesus with this selfish heart, this greedy heart. But Mary, she responds with generosity and surrender. A generous spirit, a giving spirit, and full surrender to the Lord. Look at verses 4 through 8. It says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, Judas, he's upset. He sees this humble devotion by Mary. She gets down on her knees. And by the way, both Matthew 26 and Mark says she not only anointed his feet, she anointed his whole body. 
She comes to Jesus and she started at his head and she broke that alabaster jar there. And I believe it began to run down and then she stooped down and began to anoint his feet. She's doing this as a way to prepare him for his burial. Well, Judas sees this and instead of saying, man, what an act of devotion that is, he gets upset. Now, he kind of couches this, kind of frames it so he'll look good, and he says, oh, it's because that money could have been used for the poor. Let me tell you something. He was a thief. He was a robber. He didn't care. What he wanted was the money. And by the way, Jesus knew this. He had known it for quite some time. Years earlier, when Peter comes before Jesus and, and starts to speak to him, Jesus starts to talk about Judas. Let me share that with you. In John chapter 6, verses 68 through 71, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Did I myself not choose you the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The Lord knew it. The Lord knew his heart. He understood that he was going to betray him. Now, why would Judas be that man to do that? I was trying to ask that question. What caused him? It was a self-serving attitude. It was a heart of selfishness. It was about him first. Where, Where Mary always responded to Jesus first, Judas always responded, me first. You see this in his actions. You see this from these statements. Now, we know that that Judas had joined Jesus, and he was a zealot. Judas was a, was a Jewish zealot that wanted to see the overthrow of Rome. And so I think, in the beginning, Judas joins Jesus thinking, well, oh, this guy really is a Messiah. I mean, who else can do miracles like that? And so he joins, and, and he obviously was well-respected. He's given, I guess, power over the money that they had. A little side note you might want to think about. The Lord allowed him to have the money. And if Judas would have responded in faithfulness, we may not know him as the Judas we do today. But instead, he, he responded in selfishness. And I think what's happening in this situation, in the story that we see here this morning, you have this man who, who at first thought everything was going well, but all of a sudden, the people no longer see, seem to be as excited about Jesus as they once were. Things don't seem to be going quite the way Judas had thought they were going to go. Now the leaders want to kill him and anybody with him. And I think Judas at this point said, I'm out. He said, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. He begins to, to think about it. He says, but I don't want to leave empty-handed, right? So he's going to betray the Lord. He's going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, that's 20 bucks in our day and age. He's going to sell the king of glory for $20. His heart was given over. Judas was a traitor. That's the first thing we see. He was a traitor. But not only was he a traitor, he was a greedy thief. He was full of greed, and he wanted to rob from the box. It really was meant for the poor. He's a thief. Look at verse 5. It says, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? And I think what he's thinking is, what a waste. I could have had 300 denarii. I could have taken that money and used it the way I see fit. He was a fake. If you look at verse 6, we know that. 
It says, now he said, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the money box, and he used to pilfer what was put into it. Now, it's interesting. Basically, Judas is going to use deceit when he kisses the Lord on the cheek, right? But that's not the first time he uses deceit. He's always been a liar. It's just an evidence of it that we see when he kisses the Lord, and then the whole Roman guard shows up. Judas was a thief. He never really had good intentions. He was a traitor. He was a greedy thief. But not only that, he was a hypocrite. He was a hypocrite and he was rebuked by the Lord in verses 7 and 8. It says, Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone so that they may keep it for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. I think what makes me sad here is none of the other disciples came to her defense. No one came to Mary's defense. And the reason is, is because the disciples actually were in agreement with Judas. I think Judas must have been a very strong personality, maybe even very likable. But in in the book of Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 8, it says, the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why, what a waste. So it wasn't only Judas, it was the disciples as well. And what does the Lord do? He rebukes them. He says, let her alone. He was a betrayer, a greedy thief, a hypocrite. And the last thing that I think about when I think of Judas is really his life is tragic. Guys, this is a tragedy. When you think about who Judas is, he was with the Lord for almost three and a half years, daily being discipled by the Lord of glory. He's in his very presence, and yet he he in turn betrays him, rips him off, turns him over to be killed for 30 pieces of silver. It's a tragedy. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, there are Judases even today. If you've been coming to church for a number of years, if you've been coming even for a number of months, and you've heard the gospel message that Jesus is truly the Son of God, God in the flesh, that He came to pay the, li- pay the price for your life, He gave Himself that, so that you might have eternal life, and yet you will not respond. You won't believe the light of Christ. Jesus Himself claimed, I am the light of the world. And there are people that come week after week, maybe even read the Bible, but yet they will not respond to the truth that is made plain before them. It's a tragedy. And maybe even worse, there are those that claim Christ. You claim Christ as your Savior, your Lord. I follow Jesus. You have it bumper stickered on your car, but does your life reflect that you know Him? Because Judas sold out Christ for 30 pieces of silver, but there are people even within the church that sell out Christ for all kinds of things. I've met people that have sold out Christ because they they want to be recognized. They want to be seen. They want to have power. They want to be the man. They claim Christ, but really they want notoriety. There are other people that will sell out Christ for sex. I mean, immorality is a part of our culture. Matter of fact, it's so bad that we've almost become anesthetized to it in movies and all this other stuff. But there are people that say, I love Jesus, but you know what? He understands my heart. And even though, you know, I'm doing these things that I know aren't right, he really knows me. Can I tell you something? The reality of our heart is displayed by our obedience before the Lord. Jesus says those that know him, that love him, are the ones that keep his word. 
And there are others that will be like a Judas who, who money is their thing. That if they're honest, they say, hey, I'm a Christian. And to be honest with you guys, as a pastor, I've seen this and I've done a lot of reading on this. Most churches function on, on only 20% of the people giving. In the average church, you have 80% who really don't tithe, even close to tithe, but you have 20% that are faithful. What is that? You have this church where people are claiming Christ, but they're not generous. They don't believe truly that all that they own are His. It's a tragedy. Do you know Him? Do you trust Him? Because that's the picture that we have with Mary. Now Judas, he was a betrayer, a grief, a hypocrite. His life was tragic. But Mary is the exact opposite of Judas. Judas, he's greedy. But when you look at Mary, her actions are generous. As a matter of fact, over the top generous. Judas had said that, that that perfume was worth 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii, denarius is a, a day's wage. And I just took a calculation based on $10 an hour. So eight, eight hours a day, 300 days, it comes out to $24,000. Somebody came after me after the first service and said, yeah, but base it on the medium whatever day's wage here is in Orange County. We calculated that it would probably be somewhere around $75,000. But what does Mary do with that $75,000 perfume? She gives it. Why? Because she understands the principle that everything that's hers is his. And devotionally, from her heart, she gives whatever he has given to her. Now, I'm thinking this is probably like a family heirloom. Something very special. Understand that that to to make nard, it has to come from the Himalayas, which is between China and Tibet. And so it has to be cameled down, produced into an ointment, and then make it all the way to Israel. Very costly. It's worth a lot. But she gives, this is a picture of her giving her all, a surrender to the Lord, a, a willingness to say such the opposite of Judas. She was an open book. Everything she had belonged to him. Now, it ends with a statement in verse 8 that says, for you will always have the poor with you, but you not, do not always have me. I think simply what Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to be around very much longer. And because of the, the fallen state of man, you're always going to have the poor. But me, you won't always have. And I, I think for us, maybe we could relate it to that we, we prioritize our life first. First is Lord first in your life, is the gospel first, and then everything else flows from that, even helping the poor. You know, a picture of this kind of devotional heart, this generous spirit, was really just happened this past week. I, I got a, a call from the sister of Cynthia Lepowski. Now, I'd spoken about Cynthia recently to you that she had passed away, but I wanted to share with you what her sister had told me this past week. Her sister called and said, you know, Pastor Rob, you know, Cynthia just loved the Lord and she loved you guys' church. She said, this, this was her church. And she says, I want you to know that Cynthia, in her planning of her estate and her will, gave the first tenth back to the Lord. She gave a tithe of her estate to the church because this was where she fellowshiped. And, and it, it kind of convicted me, honestly, guys, to be honest with you. Karen and I were just recently working in on our living trust, and I realized that kind of a heart, that devotional heart, where in every area of her life, from beginning to end, Christ was first. And she just said, you know, she she wasn't wealthy. 
But it was the heart. Do you see it? It was this heart of devotion. Jesus first, every area of my life, even in the planning of my will. She was just like a Mary. This heart of devotion. This heart of generosity. So two things we've seen. Martha responds with grateful service. Mary responds with humble devotion. Judas responds with selfishness and greed. Mary responds with generosity and surrender. And now the final ones. The crowd respond to Jesus with indifference and the chief priests respond with hate. But Mary responds with courage and compassion. Courage and compassion. Let's read the verses, verses 9 through 11. The large crowd of the Jews then learn that Jesus was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So the large crowd, they, they learned that Jesus was there, but not only that Jesus was there, but also Lazarus was there. And I want you to see that the crowd, really, they're just indifferent. They kind of move with the winds of change. They're, they're kind of there for the action. They're there when something's going on. I mean, Jesus was this miracle healer, and so they always kind of wanted to see if they could see one. But now Lazarus is kind of the, the latest story, the latest celebrity. And you see this in the church. I see it all the time. As long as it's exciting, as long as it's cutting edge, as long as it's cool, people will show. But the idea of commitment, the idea of being faithful, for some reason that's been leaving the church. And this is the, the heart of the crowd. They're just indifferent. It's, it's, not a, it's not an idea that they want to come to know Jesus, that he might be the Messiah that they've been waiting for. It's really what can they get from him? Can they be entertained by him? Can they see this latest miracle he does? Or man, if we can see Lazarus, this guy who's been raised from the dead, you know, maybe they'll, they'll take a selfie with them, I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. It's funny, Karen and I were watching this, uh, this show about bodyguards the other night. And a bodyguard is somebody who protects celebrities, right? And it's interesting, the, the very crowd that, that loves that celebrity is the very crowd that can cause them the most harm. They're fickle. They turn. And we're going to see that with this crowd, right? The very next day, this crowd is going to be saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Five days later, crucify him, crucify him. They're fickle. They end up hating Jesus. And this is the very thing that the, that the chief priests do. They hate him. Now, the chief priests, kind of from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, they hated the Lord. And the reason is, is because he always kind of went against what they taught, didn't he? So these guys have always kind of had it out for Jesus. But there's two reasons that the chief priests are really upset with Jesus. The first one, I think, is political. Understand, here you have Jesus, and he's gathering the crowds, and, and I think these Jewish leaders are afraid, wow, this could cause an insurrection. And if Rome hears about this, Rome might sweep in and wipe us out. So they're afraid, kind of this political idea. But also there's a theological issue, and this one kind of cracks me up. You have to understand that these chief priests, they're Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they teach that there is no resurrection. Well, they got a real problem. You got Lazarus sitting there. He resurrected so they got a real theological issue. The very guy that they're trying to teach again is sitting right there. So what's their solution? They're going to kill him. 
They not only want to murder Jesus, but they want to murder Lazarus as well. There's hatred in their heart. Now, as a side note, Lazarus, whenever you find Lazarus after he'd been risen, guess where he's at? Sitting with Jesus. Again, kind of a picture of that devotional heart. He wants to be wherever Jesus is. How's that going for you guys? How's it coming to him, spending time with him? What a beautiful picture we see with Lazarus. But also Lazarus, he has courage, doesn't he? He understands that they have a, basically a price on his head. But he understands. The guy's already died once. What's the big deal? Die again, right? He's with the Lord. Now I see that same kind of courage in Mary. When you look at Mary, there's two things that just pop off the page to me. One is she's courageous, and two, she has compassion. Think about how much courage you would need to have as a woman in a Jewish culture to come and take the veil off, to get down on your hands and knees before all these men and to begin to anoint Jesus for his burial. It takes a lot of courage because she understands she's going to get ridicule, and she did. But she was willing to be bold, courageous for the Lord. I got to tell you, I really think that the Lord loves that kind of heart. A bold heart, a courageous heart, a willing to step outside of your comfort for his sake. Now don't just do it willy-nilly, but just say, Lord, I'm willing to be bold. If, if you show me how you want me to be bold, I'm willing. I think the Lord loves it when we pray those kind of prayers. He said, you know, Lord, I just, I want to be used by you. I'm not even sure how, but I'm willing, Lord. I, I'm in. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm in. And you wait for that door to be open, and when that door's open, woof, takes courage, doesn't it, to take that step of faith. I think Mary has that kind of courage. But it's combined with what you need when you're bold. She has compassion. She knows Jesus is going to die. And in compassion, now I'm talking about Jesus as a man. He's facing death. Six days away, she understands that. And so with this compassionate heart, this giving heart, she anoints him. She ministers to our Lord. She ministers to him with that heart of compassion. The kind of compassion that we all need for people as well. Bold on one side, compassionate on the other side. That makes a faithful servant of God. And we see that with Mary. A person, as I began to think through, who do I know that has this kind of courage and also has the compassion? And I, I could only think of missionaries that I've read about. And so, but later on, I'll share another one with you. I thought of it during the first service. David Livingston was a man who had courage, but also compassion. David Livingston, he risked everything. He was, a, he was a well-known physician, very wealthy. He gave it all up to go to Africa to preach the gospel. Now, that takes a lot of courage to leave everything behind and to go on a mission field for the Lord's sake. He knew he was called. He understood that God had called him. But it still takes that act of boldness and courage to go do that. Matter of fact, he knew that, that he might suffer illness because, you know, diseases, all that kind of thing. It, it stated that he made a trip back to England a number of years later after he had first arrived in Africa and that his wife didn't even know him. She couldn't recognize him. But he also had this heart of love and compassion for the people. The people loved him so much that, that when David Livingston died, the people wanted him to put in his will that his heart would remain in Africa and his body could be sent to England. And that's what he did. David Livingston said, leave my heart here because this is where I've served my Lord and my people and send my body back to my family in England. 
kind of a picture here as well, a man who has courage, but also compassion. So three things we've seen with Mary. She responds to Jesus with humble devotion. She responds to Jesus with generosity and surrender. And she responds to to Jesus with courage, but also this heart of compassion. I pray that the Lord might see that in each of us as well. Let's pray. Well, Father, we we close our study, Lord, uh, this time in your word. Really, Lord, I'm grateful for the scriptures and the examples that we see here. But, Father, if I'm honest, I I realize that I fall short. Lord, that uh, it is by your spirit that needs to help me and shape me and mold me into your image. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would help each of us, God, to draw closer to you really with that heart of devotion. I pray, Father, that you would show us how to have a a generous spirit, a, a surrendered heart. Lord, I pray that you might give us boldness and courage, and yet that we may remain soft in our hearts, Lord, so that we might be usable by you for your glory and your glory alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to end this message this morning really with what I think the Lord showed me. Sometimes when you you read about certain people in Scripture and you kind of expose their life, I'm thinking, man, I fall so short of that. (laughs) I mean, Mary, she's got this great heart. She's willing to do whatever for the Lord. And there are times where I feel like I fall short. And sometimes a message like this can leave you feeling kind of guilty. Like, oh, gee whiz, okay, I fell short again. I guess I'll just move on to the next thing. But instead of that, why not just choose one of the areas where you see where Mary's heart was? Maybe it's the area of devotion. So, you know, Lord, I see this area in my life, and and I tend to be so much more a Martha and not a Mary. By the way, I'm much more that, a Martha, not a Mary. So, Lord, I want to have more of that heart of devotion to you. Would you help me this week particularly, Lord? Or maybe this this idea of generosity. Lord, I always seem to be a, a numbers cruncher and I'm always so concerned about these things. Would you help me, Lord, have freedom with that? And maybe it's this idea about courage, compassion. Lord, I want to be bold. I'm tired of sitting on the sidelines. I want to be used. Lord, use me. Whatever area spoke to you during this message and it kind of rang true in your heart, grab onto that as a way of application this week. Begin to pray and say, Lord, I'm open. I'm open to that. Would you help me be that? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray for you and for me as well in a way the Lord might minister to us through those. Father, this is our prayer as a church. Lord, you would use us and that we would be available. Lord, as your people, I think we want to draw close to you, Lord. There's a desire in me. But so often, Father, confessing, I get distracted. And so I pray for us as a church that you by your spirit might draw us deeper into this relationship with you. That devotionally, Lord, we might draw closer to you by faith. Father, I pray for my heart and being generous, Lord. Let me have an open hand, not a closed hand. Lord, let me be open to what you want me to do with the resources that you've given me. Teach me what it means to just be a good steward, Lord, and faithful. Teach us as a church to be generous, God, to all. And Lord, praying for boldness. 
and compassion, Lord. Make us people who are not afraid, but bold in Christ and for Christ. But at the same time, our hearts are soft towards others where we want to minister the gospel, the truth about Jesus. Change us, Lord. We submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.